The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Brent Hollum. Welcome to Night Fright. Get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. Tonight's going to be a great night to settle in your most comfy chair. Pull that comforter way up. Kick your feet out and relax for the next hour. You go full blast all day, all week, sometimes right into the wee hours of the night. This is your time to relax, so please do take this time for yourself and relax. Exciting, exciting show tonight. I tell you, I've been looking forward to this show for war months, and we finally, finally found a time when we could book our guest tonight. The book is called How to Talk to an Alien. No, it's not a couple's book. If you're having trouble with your couple on the other side, your partner on the other side, this is not the book for you. These are real aliens, ETs. And yes, we have them in Canada. They live in Ottawa. We call them politicians. Okay, that's enough of the bad jokes for tonight. Our guest is Nancy Duterte. She likes the way I say that because <laughs> I'm from Montreal, right? And that's a French last name. So um, I guess maybe I could be the first host in history to ever get that name right. <laughs> Let me read some of the book about the book tonight, folks. Can we actually communicate with aliens and extraterrestrials? And if so... Can they understand and speak our languages? And who should be the communicators? Big question we're going to answer tonight. Will we speak with aliens by telepathy or technology? Do they have DNA? What are their intentions? These and many more fascinating questions are answered in Nancy Duterte's new book, How to Talk to an Alien. Can they speak our languages? Can they read our minds? What are they trying to tell us? Nancy's a noticed psychic and spiritual medium, a trained remote viewer. We're going to talk about remote viewing because I took a remote viewing class here in Canada. I did. And um, so I want to get into that. And I had Yuri Geller on the show, who I, I know you know Yuri as well. Um, Details is widely known as the skeptical psychic. Her predictions and her research into connecting with ETs have emerged from her scientific focus on psychic intuition and linguistics. Along with her own UFO alien experiences, yes, we're going to go there tonight too, folks, resulting in a new field of extraterrestrial alien 
communications. Once again, folks, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. The book is called How to Talk to an Alien. Our guest tonight and its author, Nancy Detailth. Welcome to the show all the way from New Jersey. How are things in Joyzy? Well, first of all, things in Joyzy are just fantastic, I'm telling you. So uh, you want to talk Jersey, I'm going to talk Jersey to you. <laughs> I'll talk Canadian, eh? <laughs> oh, cool. Well, uh, and also I'm very, very, very impressed by your pronunciation of my name. Et voilà, merci beaucoup. Vous êtes très gentil. Une fois, mon amour. Qui sont capables de le prononcer, donc... Uh, Je suis très impressionnée. Oh oui, merci. Because I know yeah. you spent some time in France, right? Well, here's the thing. Um, I know you were joking, but my husband, who is French, mm-hmm. wanted me to tell everybody that I've been talking to an alien for a very, very long time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we have um, Dan Aykroyd lives in Kingston, just up the street, actually. Yeah. And he, when he puts his conehead hat on, he says, guess where he says he's from? Well, you're going to laugh because at my MUFON presentation, I, I got in touch with him because it suddenly dawned on me, oh, yeah, they say we are from France. And I thought, oh, that'd be perfect. So I said, would you allow me to use one of your conehead pictures? And he said, sure, but you got to check with the studios. So, of course, I checked with the studios and nobody ever got back to me, so I didn't dare. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good. I had his dad on the show, and uh, the reason why he wrote Ghostbusters, we're going off here, we're just having a little bit of fun, folks. So, you know, as I said before, just settle in and relax. We're going to get to some juicy stuff in a second. The reason why he wrote Ghostbusters is because um, he used to have seances up at his farmhouse, and that's how he got into the whole paranormal thing. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Okay, let's talk about your book, How to Talk to an Alien. Now... My first question when I when this book came to me, I thought, why in the name of God would they even want to bother talking to us? I mean, we're still shooting each other's butts off. Uh, talk about France not too long ago. There was a horrible, several horrible attacks there. You've had them in the States. We've had them in Canada. This is not a species I would reach out to uh, in any sense. I would want to uh, probably ostracize them and distance myself from them. Why in the name of God would they want to even bother talking to us? Okay, well, I don't claim to be inside any of their minds, so I'm not sure that I have that answer. I can only go by certain types of, you know, evidence, statements, things. But if you uh, assume that one of the reasons that some of them anyway want to contact us, it's for our, our spiritual evolution. Why would they want us to spiritually evolve? Well, there you know, could be several reasons. If they seeded us, they might have a tremendous interest in seeing what direction we take. I mean, it's like when you, you prune a, a, a hedge or a plant, you know, you want it to grow a particular way. Um, maybe the same thing. Could also be that uh, they're concerned about our complete and total recklessness mm. and aggressive tendencies and the fact that we seem to be uh, leading our planet into a, a state of unsustainability. Uh, I mean, I know in my lifetime, literally, the planet has cha- has doubled, more than doubled, from three billion to seven plus billion. That's just, and that's my lifetime. I'm old, but I'm not that old, you know. So in the 22 gonna, years you've been around, in the 22 years I've been around, I, I I've seen a few things, but but the point is that you know it's going to increase. Yeah. 
think arithmetically, not just, you know, exponentially. Yeah, yeah, excuse me, exponentially. So I don't really, uh, I, I think what they would be concerned about is the uh, ripple effect. And if you begin to understand, you know, some of the messages, which are sort of hermetic in their, their focus, which is, you know, the, the microcosm contains the macrocosm, there's the message there is, you know, if we're all in this, whatever, this space-time dimension, this universe, this galaxy, whatever it is, with all of us, uh, we're going to pay very much attention to what you're doing because it affects us and vice versa. And vice versa. Yeah, people usually relate to 1947, the tests, Roswell. And, uh, you know, Stanton Friedman wrote your, the foreword to your book, and uh, Stan's been on the show many times, a fellow Canadian and he's, I, from, and he's from New Jersey, too. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and me. And um, he was saying it's probably because the kids got the matches, you know, and now we're starting to play with fire. And let's talk about that relationship that, you know, there's the possibility that we are the offspring or perhaps designed offspring of aliens. Do you think there's some merit to that? I don't see, yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, I've certainly, I, I've read enough where that's been suggested. I, I don't see that that's, I don't have any difficulty with that. Okay. Yeah, either do I. I, I think there's, you know, great possibilities of, of DNA. Um, I had Francis, Dr. Francis Collins on the show, and uh, he's the fellow that led the team that broke the genome. And I, I always tell this story because it still fascinates me to this day. I said, well, how much of our DNA is the same? And uh, I was thinking an answer, 60-70% of each person would be the same. He said 99.9999999992, you know, infinity is the same. So I'm thinking if we all go back to the Big Bang Theory, and um, as I was taught in Kabbalah and Torah, it's like a... Um, uh, a seed, everything that comes from that seed is intrinsically connected. And why wouldn't the aliens be our brothers, our sisters? It makes perfect sense to me as well. If everything comes from that big bang, it all spreads out. Do you yeah. feel? Yeah. Okay. And on top of that, I forget what the uh, statistics are, but I think we're something like, you know, our DNA is something like it's either 95 or 99 percent. Uh, related uh, or identical to a mouse. So, you know, just not that, that we're not all not that far apart, not as far apart as we think we are. What would make our species, if we go on the presumption that we are not their offspring, what would make our species so attractive them, to them to reach out to us now? Um, and who would they reach out to on this planet? Why would we be so attracted they'd want to reach out to us? Yeah. All I can think of is because we're here and we're in somewhat control of this planet more than any other species. And uh, if, if there's an experiment going on with um, free will or uh, evolution or with, some, with our form, different forms of DNA or our spiritual evolution, whatever it is, that it makes sense that they would want to see how that can be evolved without a great deal of interference. 
to me, that just seems to be part of the, the game plan here. And in terms of who they're contacting, um, my impression is, and I could be wrong, but my impression is they have reached out over centuries to generally very, very simple people. And I'm with a, a little bit of a caveat. They're simple, but many of them have extremely high IQs. I mean, they're very highly intelligent people, but maybe not very educated. Um, you know, they're, they're not the pillars of society. They're not the government. They're not, you know, whatever. They're simple people who, uh, for whatever reason, they think can best understand who they are. And I think also there's something about, and I'm still working on this as a concept, but there's something about certain um, mentalities of certain people. Uh, a lot of them have had near-death experiences. A lot of them have had brain injuries, uh, certain traumas to the head. And when I first went into this field, I, I thought, oh, okay, so that's, you know, red flag warning sign. Uh, you know, maybe I'm dealing with people who are a little bit off. Um, but having spoken now with many, many of these people, I don't think that's it. I think that they have, it's almost as if an adjustment has been made in their understanding of how to communicate in a much more holistic sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's more why they're being dealt with. On top of the fact, I think that, you know, the, the series that have gone around for a long time, which is that, you know, they tried dealing with the governments and um, mm -hmm. didn't really enjoy the experience. Who can blame them? Who does enjoy that experience? When they communicate with an individual, is it a language, or is it more like remote viewing where you get a picture? It depends. It depends. Ah. Because there are many, many different ways that they're communicating. And what I generally explain is that um, language is just a subset of communication, but they're, they're communicating. The most common thing you always hear about is telepathically. Yeah. They communicate audibly, but that doesn't necessarily mean in terms of language human language, they can communicate in alien language, they can communicate in sounds like animal languages, They've, there are reports that uh, they sound like dogs barking or yelping or like birds chirping or calling or shrieking uh, or like bees buzzing. So, and I've heard uh, other languages that sound like um, they have sort of a, an insect sound and like clicking or very, very guttural kinds of sounds, um, not at all like human language. Not at all. Now, and I'm sorry, I didn't finish there. I just wanted to, so, so you have telepathic, you have audible, you've got, they're communicating through our electronic equipment, through TVs, um, computer monitors, uh, recording uh, devices, things like that. They're communicating through different types of um, mechanical implants that they're placing into human bodies. They can communicate through symbols, crop circles, dreams, remote viewing, channeling, automatic writing, through things like synchronicities, where I believe, because I do believe they have tremendous powers of um, mind control, that we can be very subtly manipulated to cross paths or intersect at certain moments with other people or other situations, which were intended to, uh, it, it's a form of communication. It's okay. a way to get us to move on and to develop uh, some understanding about them. 
So, I mean, they're just tons. Or they can do body language, sign language, mm. can communicate with the uh, lights, uh, with their their uh, craft. There are a lot of ways to communicate. Music? Do they ever use music as communication? Yes, I believe that um, Betty, Andres, and Luca talked about them uh, hearing music on the on the phones with them. I can tell you that um, mm-hmm. in I, I've also received uh, phone calls. Yes, I was going to get to those. Yeah. One of the things that struck me uh, in one of these calls where there really was no voice, like I'd heard other voices. Um, but there were very, just crazy sounds, like, and I described them as like, you know, if you could imagine like dinosaurs screeching or giant steel or iron locks closing or opening with the waters and the clanging and, and then hearing these unbelievable um, like celestial bells or tubular bell sounds, it was like music, but nothing, nothing like I've ever heard in my life. Did you think that was a form of communication directly to you or a form of disruption because of, of who you were trying to contact at the time? Uh-huh. At that moment, yeah. That, uh, I was about, uh, this was a, um, uh, a well-known uh, psychologist from New York, and I was giving her a reading, and I knew really nothing about her at all. I knew one story. And the story about her was that she'd had this kind of wild experience. She was driving in Long Island on the highway, and, and this face appeared on the windshield. And she sort of freaked out. She, she pulled over the side of the road, and the face disappeared, and she didn't think about it. And it wasn't until years later she went down to South America and met with some of the shamans down there. And one of them seemed to have that, exa- that same face. And so that, for her, was the end of the story. But it had occurred to me... And she and I had never, ever talked about any of this stuff. I just, I'd heard her tell that story. That was it. And we'd never talked about aliens or UFOs. And I was about to say to her, the words were about to come out of my mouth. Oh, did you ever think maybe that was an alien? And as soon as I was going to say alien, that's when just all craziness happened on the telephone. The stuff, and, and at the end of it, uh, it did what it typically did, which is, Neither one of us could hear each other. We could both hear it, and then it disconnected both of us. And then neither one of us could call each other back for about five or ten minutes, during which time she um, she texted me, and she said, what the heck was that? Hmm. She said, whatever the heck that was, that was not of this earth. And it was clear to me it was not of this earth either. Um, so, yeah, it could have been, I think it was disrupting for whatever purpose. Maybe it didn't want her to have that realization at this moment. I, I don't know why. Yeah, it's open for your interpretation. Yeah. Completely. Okay. Folks, we're speaking with Nancy Dutelt, ce soir. <laughs> how, to ta- how, to, how to Talk to an Alien is the name of the book. Can they speak our languages? Can they read our minds? What are they trying to tell us? And uh, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. Take it right to a spot. You can order the book from the comfort of your own home. And tonight's a good night for that because it's uh, starting to drop down in temperature tonight. So uh, good read, folks. Uh, You're going to learn a lot of stuff, especially about hieroglyphics, uh, Sanskrit, and the various forms of communication that not only uh, the aliens have used over the years, but uh, humans indeed as well. 
Have you been able to trace back when perhaps the first contact took place alien to human? No, I, I really didn't focus on that. Um, I know that uh, Jacques Vallée has written uh, a book, and now I'm going to forget the title. Uh, I can't remember it either, but yeah. Yeah, but no, anyway, yeah. he co-wrote it um, with another fellow and basically did an entire history of, you know, contact going back through the thousands of years. Mm. So uh, I didn't feel the need to go and document that far back. That okay. was what I was trying to do. What was the epiphany moment for you to write this book? Something happened in your personal life, perhaps? No. Okay, then. We'll just keep <laughs> moving right along. And uh, so how do you think the Devils are going to do this year? Uh, no, I, I, no, I don't do sports. In fact, I was just explaining that to somebody today. I really don't do sports. I was getting back at you for your answer. No, I know that. Um, uh, yeah, what was the question now? Oh, sure. Oh, so, sure. I, was there an epiphany moment? No, there was no. And, and actually, I did get asked that at some point after I read the book, and I thought mm -hmm. I knew everything about my own process, and I thought, oh, that's really crazy. I, I didn't have an epiphany moment. I, I truly don't. I don't know why I wrote the book. All I know is that I went to my publisher uh, and said, can you spare me five minutes? Can I pitch an idea? He said, yeah, he liked the idea. And I said, listen, would it be in any way possible? Well, I know this is crazy because most publishers are all booked up for at least one or two years yeah. for their list. Would it be possible to get this book in print within nine months? Because I wanted it for a presentation. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. You write this book in two months, and uh, yeah, we'll get it in print in nine. And I wrote this book in two months. Every other book, it's my fifth book, has, uh, every other book's taken me about ten years. So um, I don't know why I wrote it to start with. I don't know why I wrote it so fast. I don't, and, and every single person that I contacted uh, to see if I could get a review on it accepted without even a blink. And it, to me, that was just miraculous. So I think along, I, I think I was supposed to write this book, and I think it was, uh, I think I was probably helped. I just wasn't aware of it. Divine intervention, so to speak. Some kind of intervention. Stream of consciousness coming from somewhere. From yeah. Somewhere. You know, I often wonder um, if we were to land on Mars and put a person on Mars, finally. Uh, we've got the rovers up there and things like that, but if we did come across some kind of alien life form, um, if we would be cognizant enough, even if it was a biological life form, would we be cognizant enough to try and communicate with that life form? And if yes, how would we go about communicating with that life form and perhaps if we can answer that question we could reverse the process in our own minds and try and answer how and why the aliens are contacting us any thoughts on that idea um i've never been asked that before i'm i'm free associating on a dream that i had please yeah I was. I went into a spaceship. I don't normally dream about aliens and spaceships. I've had a few dreams, but not many. And I, so I was in the spaceship. I was in uh, an elevator hmm. up to a higher floor. There was a very strange sort of what you would think of as a, a certain type of a gray, a small gray, uh, that was sort of charcoal colored. 
and just stared at me. It sort of stayed in the corner and stared at me the whole time. I was trying to uh, sort of communicate my friendliness and, you know, that I was not in any way any threat or anything like that, but couldn't seem to get that across. The, the doors opened, and then I was in a space, and I was, um, there were many different species of aliens in there, including some humanoids. There was a, a giant and the strangest thing, and this is what's making me think of your question, was there was some type of an alien that was in the shape of a square. And it was uh, white and, and blue. And I thought, well, that's that really takes the cake for, like, yeah. dr craziness. Why would I dream that up? And then how would you communicate with a thing that was a square? How would you even know, you know, for questions like these, you have to be, you have to define what is consciousness and therefore what is something that is conscious versus just me. And, and then, um, how do you, how do you communicate through a structure that is anything but, you know, what you experience in your exterior world? Exactly right. How do you define some kind of process where you can communicate uh, on a common level, where there would be some kind of commonality, uh, some sort of rationalization from both of you? Uh, what was it Spock said, I wouldn't know where to begin when he, uh, when he met God. And he said, you know, that there's no... Because so I think Kirk asked him, what happened when you died? And he said, well, there's no common reference point, is, is what he basically said. And I guess this is what would be apropos when we're trying to communicate with a new species. What's the common reference point? Is there any? How do we get through? How do they get through? Right. And I think, you know, I've, uh, one of the books that I wrote is called Psychic Intuition, Everything You Ever Wanted to Ask But Were Afraid to Know. And what I do is I explain psychic ability in terms of neuroscience, psychology, and linguistics. And what I'm trying to do, and, and the reason why that book took me so long to write, is because I'm trying to create a, a bridge of understanding between people who think logically and empirically um, and analytically, for those who, who don't need to do that. They're thinking in a very, very different way, holistically, and, and these are people who can do psychic work very, very easily. So what I tried to do was to show through a process of training with a starting point at this kind of logical, empirical place, how you can move into that space of mind where you can literally think differently. And this was the real kicker, that, that skeptics and believers, they think that the other is wrong about reality, but, but truly, they both live here together in completely different realities. But both of those realities are determined by their sensory perceptions. Hmm. So that if you change, well, there are many ways you can okay. actually, you can change physical perceptions. But if you do that, you change your whole reality. And I think that's the key if you want to understand alien minds, if such a thing exists, I assume it does, hmm. that you, you try to... Um, experience something that is, first of all, beyond the five senses, because we have 
uh, I mean, it's generally accepted in science. We now have 21. I've counted up to 40, and I believe there are hundreds. I can uh, see that. Sure, absolutely. So, so once you start to accept that we're receiving tons of data, I mean, we, we're only cognizant of, of between 16 to 40 bits of sense of sensory information per second of the 11, uh, I think it's million bits of sensory information that bombard us every second. So what happens to all that other data? You know, where is it? It got to us. If we registered it, we'd know a heck of a lot more. So the whole idea is open your open your mind, learn how to open your mind, because there are ways to do it, that they're accessible. And I, I think then you can really understand alien brains and alien forms of communication much better. Is remote viewing a way to do that? Was that, for you, a way to communicate better or understand better what was being communicated to you? For me personally? Yeah. Um, no, not really, because okay. the way that I look at this it is, and this is just you know my my view on it, is um, remote viewing is clairvoyance with protocols. So if you've already learned how to be clairvoyant, which I had done because I I uh, trained as an apprentice psychic detective for about ten years, um, you know I was already sort of there. I just didn't do the protocols. Protocols that help you um, eliminate some of your thinking, and thinking is always a problem. That you know, that's why we can't access a lot of our psychic ability um, because we're prejudging and we've got yeah. prefabricated thoughts and units of thoughts, memories, forcing yeah. boundaries where there shouldn't be, and things of that nature. Yeah. And the same thing with emotions; you got to get rid of the emotions. Yeah, that's the tough one too. Yeah, but absolutely. For me, the the remote viewing—I mean, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it, but um, that wasn't that wasn't my my pathway in. You had talked about the dream that you experienced, and I wanted to bring this up, and because you just mentioned emotions, was there fear involved when you were in that dream? No. I, it, there's one thing you have to know about me, though. Okay. I'm a, I don't frighten easily. It, it's okay. been a long time. I sort of walked into all of this stuff. I started out training to be psychic, uh, kind of midlife, and and then slowly, slowly wandered into the paranormal field, where I did paranormal investigations. But I did it slowly because I I knew that they're dangerous uh, things. Out how so? How how are they dangerous? Entities. There are things that can affect us, and and we don't have any controls. And what I always tell all my students, for example, is I say. Before you go into any of this, know your spiritual allies, because we are substantial. I mean, we're part spiritual, but we're also substantially physical, and there are things that we have a hard time accessing on the spiritual plane. So we need friends and allies there. Know who they are, because there are, you know, what they traditionally call the the tricksters or yeah. demons or negative energies or whatever. And I have, you know. I've seen them do things, and I have witnessed, um, uh, I mean, I have friends who have, for example, watched refrigerators go flying across the room, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. giant boulders being thrown above their heads in a park, or uh, things that, you know, knives being thrown right next to their face. 
um, those aren't things you really want to mess with too much, and you want somebody uh, making sure that you're okay. You bring up a, a very important subject, and I, you never know where you're going to go with Night Fright. Um, Kathleen Martin and Stan were on the show, Stanton Friedman were on the show, and we started talking about alien abductions, of course, because Betty and Barney Hill. And we got into the discussion now where a lot of people are feeling that aliens are demons and vice versa. Do you mm -hmm. fall into that camp at all? Do you entertain those ideas? I, one of the things I found really interesting when I first started exploring this was that there were so many um, descriptions by contactees and abductees mm -hmm. of uh, the, particularly the greys smelling like sulfur. And I thought, oh gee, sounds like fire and brimstone to me. And then you read about, you know, the, the various reptilian types living underground. I mean, it sort of plays into all of those, um, it, a lot of mythology, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of religions. And, and you start to say, well, okay, th there are a couple of ways to go with this. Either, okay, fine, they're demons, all right? But then you can't call them all demons because they don't all appear that way. You have the luminescent you know, the light beings that a lot of abductees have described also, you know, or contactees. That's kind of on the angelic side. So maybe you want to include both when you're talking about aliens. Um, or the, you know, the other ways you just say, well, they're, I guess that's how these human concepts got constructed at different points in our human history. You know, it's like um, Jacques Vallée talking about, you know, the... Um, the ships that or the craft that were seen 100 to 200 years ago described very, very differently than the way they are today. Mm -hmm. You can say the same things about aliens. Mm -hmm. and, and I have no problem with that. And ultimately, I think when people get a little bit more comfortable with the similarities, that we won't run into those, you know, everybody says, oh, well, we can't disclose because what would happen to organized religion? not to mention governments. Well, I think if people get comfortable with understanding who we are, psychologically speaking, and what our understandings of these beings are, then we'll be okay with that. It doesn't get rid of God. No, I think it reinforces him or her or totally. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, without question. Folks, the book is called How to Talk to an Alien. Our guest tonight is Nancy Dutertre. She's the author, and she smiles as I say that. And she's very cute, isn't she? 22, what do you want, you know? Uh, and she's from New Jersey, so, you know, well, she's a Devils fan. She can't have everything, especially me being a Habs fan. So, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. Get the book. It's well worth the read. She's a great writer. Impeccable research. Uh, heady stuff. Very nice stuff. Very heady stuff. And um, it's going to challenge your, your thoughts, your preconceived thoughts, I should say. Uh, I think it's going to open up some doors for you and uh, get you thinking in different directions, which is terrific. And I'm very glad that you sent me the book. Thank you for that. Another question. Are all alien species... See, I actually did do research and wrote down questions. Yes. Are all alien species in contact with us presumed to be more evolved? It seems to me the place is, that places us at somewhat of, of a disadvantage, uh, kind of like a parent-child relationship. What do you think? 
Are they more evolved than us in all cases, aliens? What I found was, I mean, and that is what people tend to assume, and I think that yeah. is all what people tend to get fearful about. And through my research, I actually discovered that some of these species of aliens uh, don't appear to be that intelligent. Some of them apparently don't have the ability to um, communicate very well, at least in our languages, not with any, they don't have any great facility for language. There was a case in Poland where you had the, the farmer who was um, driving his, his tractor or something. He had a few aliens, green-skinned, uh, webbed hands, and they all hop in. And he doesn't think anything of it. For, I don't know why. But I guess they in Poland they were all giving each other lifts in their tractors. And, you know, you don't look back too much. And eventually they, through sign language, convince him to make a detour and... They take him to their ship, but the whole time, and he has this whole experience on board. He's eating their food. He's, you know, I don't know what else he was doing, but, but the whole thing is that they couldn't speak Polish. They couldn't speak any human language, and the way he describes the sounds that they were making, he said it was like, uh, sort of like, like that. So, I mean, I think that there's a relationship between intelligence and language. They, you know, the, the, in contrast to that uh, is the example of uh, Valiant Thor. Yes, um, yeah. The, the, uh, the alien from Venus, the commander of a particular ship that uh, allegedly uh, showed up uh, and made, met two of our presidents and met with various people in the Pentagon, a lot of top military people. He allegedly had an IQ of... 1200 or more when genius level for a human is 160 and he spoke apparently at least 100 human languages and many alien languages i would and he had an ability like many of them seem to have of um, being able to materialize and dematerialize hmm. and of course the the telepathic forms of communication also so to me that indicates a higher type of overall intelligence. And you know what? So what? So what? When I went to school, there were kids who were not as smart as me and others who were smarter. And that worked out fine. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Yeah. You know, that doesn't bother me. In many cases, I'm wondering if they want a symbiotic relationship. In other words, they reach out to us not only to offer what they have, but to see what we can give back in return. In other words, build off of each other and share information, share emotions, that type of thing. Yeah, there are um, different reports, of, particularly of the greys, who don't, a lot of them, the small greys, seem to be studying us for our emotions, hmm. our ability. That's, you know, the theory is that um, that's why a lot of them um, ask uh, women in particular who've had um, hybrid babies to, you know, to carry the baby or to play with the baby and that kind of thing. And they seem to be studying them to see what that does. It's a little bit like, uh, oh, there was a psychologist who studied Eskimo babies. I've forgotten his name, he's very famous, but he said the fact that they were carried um, in the papoose, I guess, mm -hmm. on his back where you could feel the mother at all times and carried until they were like three years old or something. Um, 
created, uh, they had larger brains. So there's something to emotional and tactile um, contact that we humans do that I think is powerful that, yeah, I I think they would probably benefit from that. Perhaps that's something that we can benefit the world with as well. Um, our own species is to get people feeling on a, on a deeper, more emotional level. Perhaps we would try and communicate um, verbally first instead of through a, a bullet. I think that would be uh, very healthy. I, uh, a friend of mine was a Ted Sorensen, a JFK speechwriter, and that's something he taught me was dialogue before bullets. And he saved the day, of course, with the uh, the missile crisis uh, by writing that letter to Khrushchev. Why is it presumed that it is their responsibility to communicate with us? How come we don't assume any responsibility to, to communicate back or try and find different venues or ways, avenues, I should say, to communicate back with them? Why are they always doing the initiating? I thought that was the craziest thing. You know, this... Mm field of uh, ufology is kind of new to me. Um, I'm, I'm not like Stan, who's you know been doing this for a long time. So when I first started looking at this, I started thinking, well, that's kind of crazy. If they can manipulate our, our weapon systems, our, our nuclear missile systems, cells, yeah, absolutely, yeah. our, our um, commercial and military airspace, they can do whatever the heck they want to. Sometimes they show up on radar, sometimes they don't. Uh, they can abduct us, they possibly are, are you know, mutilating the cattle or whatever, mm-hmm. but they can do a lot of stuff. Why are we not trying to communicate with them? I really didn't get it. Um, and this business about, you know, with the, um, Frank Drake and Carl Sagan sending off, you know, the gold plates in the Voyager saying, with a phonograph, which, by the way, I don't use a phonograph, you know, why... You know, the, the Voyager was probably still out there someplace waiting for somebody to figure out how to use a phonograph, although I think they put the instructions on the plate. But, but the point is, they've been, they're archaic technologies. And I know and, uh, the, what SETI's doing, okay, that's, that's lovely. But, but uh, we're not going to be around in 50,000 years to receive any answers, so what's the point? And we have to look at things that are, are um, unconventional in scientific terms, because I don't think aliens play by our conventional scientific terms. So we're going to have to think a little bit out of the box. I think we're behind the ball right now, and I'd like to see us get ahead of it and um, open up that dialogue of communication and get a free flow of ideas and and thoughts and and share things. Well, that's why I, I created this field called exolinguistics. And tell us exactly. I thought, well, you know, we ought to be studying these languages. And, you know, I had heard from a lot of abductees, and they say, oh, well, you know, I'm the only one who's being communicated with. I'm special. They've told me I'm special. They've told me I'm the only one on the planet Earth who they want to deal with, and they only speak to me in one language. That's okay. But I've heard that now from many different abductees, and they're all speaking different languages. So there's something wrong with that picture there. Yeah. Um, and, and so what we have to do is start cross-comparing the languages, compare them with each other, and compare them with our languages, both living and dead languages, and then start to see there's a ton of information you can learn about aliens and their cultures and their behaviors and their mindsets 
by studying the, the languages. You can find out their origins. You know, you you were kidding me earlier about being from New Jersey, and if I if I if I got on the and I was starting to talk like this, you know, maybe say I would. No, that's a little bit from the Bronx. I could talk in the Bronx too. That's a little different, but you know, you know, oh oh, if I was speaking a bit like this, you might think I was from somewhere else. Uh, you might get a, a slightly different impression if I was talking like this. You know, you can any of that. You slide it. You have a mental picture of me that change, change, change. And you start to learn how long I might have been in your part of the country or not. Mm-hmm. Who I may have spoken with, depending on not only my accent, but the type of words I'm using. There's an example I give in the book, How to Talk to an Alien, where um, it, it's a very famous uh, case uh, from Nebraska where an officer, Shermer, was um, he wasn't abducted. He was given a tour of a, a, a UFO. And he recalled a lot of this through uh, hypnotic regression, but he was called Watchman continuously by this alien. Well, come, come with me, Watchman. Watchman, look over here, that kind of thing. Well, Watchman is a word from the 15th century, and it refers to the guy who stood in the turrets of the, the castle or the walled-in village, not to a police officer. We wouldn't say that. So clearly, this alien maybe learned on a, I don't know, Berlitz or a, you know, Rosetta Stone uh, tape or something. There's another alien, great story, who is from the W56 friendship case that took place in the 1950s in Italy. There was an entire town on the um, eastern seaboard of Italy that was in contact with a collective of aliens who lived um, apparently in an underground base 200 miles long below the Adriatic Sea. One of them had learned how to speak Italian. Mm. And by this group spoke, uh, they communicated with all of the um, uh European government. So they spoke French, German, Italian, English, uh, Spanish, Portuguese, I think. Anyway, this particular alien, um, he, well, he had a very peculiar accent when he spoke Italian. They asked him why. Turns out that he learned how to speak Italian by listening to old tapes of Mussolini. So he was not having a huge amount of interaction with the human population. You know, and it's like uh, the way I, I liken that is to, um, you know, it's like 1940s old movies. Yeah. You know, where the people talk a little bit like this and they have some strange sounds that they make. You know, and and I imagine that that alien probably spoke something like that. Just peculiar, but it you can pinpoint a lot of data by the way people speak. That's fascinating. Now... One thing I wanted to ask you, and that was gender bias, and the reason why I want to bring this up is because you had touched on the fact that Inuit babies um, on their mother's backs and the whole emotional, um, not just the position, but the whole emotional connection that that baby has with the mother. Uh, And also what I learned in studying Torah, which is the Jewish Bible, folks, that women are intrinsically connected to God, and the reason why males have to do all the uh, ceremonial things is because we have to come to God through our intellect. Is there a gender bias in your research when you have, um, is there more women than men, is the basic uh, question I have for you when you did your research? Um, more women than men who are being abducted? or who are being contacted. 
abducted, contacted? Um, I haven't seen any statistics showing that, um, and I haven't really run across anything that would indicate a really strong gender bias. Okay. Which surprises me because I yeah, know too. in in the psychic world, it's you know it's predominantly women. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's studies out there that show that um, men are actually they um, uh, they suffer from greater psychological um, disorders and problems when they get put into uh, religious or um, uh, sort of metaphysical types of situations. Women thrive on it, men don't, apparently. Hmm. So I was very, I was surprised that I wasn't finding the same thing in the UFO world. The only thing I would say is that there are probably uh, more women who engage in uh, automatic writing or channeling. Hmm. So they're really in tune with that force that's communicating with them then? Yeah. Uh, okay. They, yeah. Okay, that's interesting, because I wasn't expecting that answer. I was expecting, like you said, there would be more women, but okay, fair enough. Now, in doing your research, how do you weed out what you feel is factual, what you think is, what you feel is somebody just trying to profit either from monetary value or profit from uh, notoriety with their stories? How do you weed out the, the nonsense from the reality stuff? Well, first of all, being only 22 years old, you know, I don't have that much experience. Um, well, you've done a very good job of it. In your, here, let me mention your book, and I'll just plug that for you. How's that? Uh, <laughs> How to Talk to an Alien with Nancy Detail, who is the author, and only 22 folks, and she's masterful book, absolutely masterful. www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. There we go. Thank you. The piece of that, just because that does deserve an answer, is um, I have studied and, well, trained in intuitive gestalt psychotherapy for about 20 years. In other words, most of my life. Mm -hmm. My life. Um, <laughs> Since before you were born. Since before I was born. And... I am so grateful that I did that. Unbelievably grateful because uh, you encounter a lot of psychosis along the to psychic paranormal and UFO stuff. And you have to, it's, you walk an incredibly thin line because you have to keep an open mind, but you cannot get sucked into psychosis because it's very frightening when you do. Yes. Have you had any run-ins with the government trying to censor you at all? Uh, trying to keep you from certain... Uh, I come from the JFK background. I've written a book on the Kennedy assassination because of my friendship with Sorensen. And um, I've, I've come across this myself um, on a personal level and also with a lot of the researchers. And I'm just wondering if this translates over as well to the UFO community. I know in certain realms it has. I'm just wondering if it has in, in your particular case. Um, I, I know that I am certainly monitored. I'm quite well monitored. Mm. But that doesn't bother me. Um, I think if there's interference, it's extremely well done. Um, and, but I would say 
given what I'm doing, I, I, I know of many, many cases where the interference has been awful. And um, I, I'm very grateful that I haven't been subjected to that. And I'm not quite sure why. Um, but I think that if, if people could take an approach that is non-accusatory and a little bit more research-oriented and a little bit more serious as opposed to sensational, that they maybe the, the responses might be a little different. I don't know. Have you experienced that ostracization from fellow journalists? You won't get it from this show or this journalist. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, you had a show on CBS, for example, and all of a sudden you're doing the, the paranormal supernatural thing and, you know. Well, it, it was suggested to me by somebody uh, who was, was quite connected that perhaps my show uh, was terminated. Um, but, of course, there were a lot of other shows uh, that got terminated uh, along with it. Um, I don't know. I, I do know. That uh, I mean, I spoke with uh, somebody recently who, as it turns out, was the former executive producer of a major uh, TV magazine show. Let me put it that way. Uh, who, when I asked if he might be able to help me, you know, with some contacts in the TV world, he and he said, "What's your book about?" He said, no, forget about it. We had some interest in that maybe 15 years ago, but that was all proven to be all hoaxes. I said, are you? And, and he said, so nobody's interested anymore. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder where he's getting, you know, where he's getting his, his line from. Because that's, it's got nothing to do with reality. Oh, absolutely. People are more interested in finding out the truth more now than ever. More now than ever. Yeah. Ever. I've never I, seen anything like it. People are, yeah. are you know. So, so yes, I mean, of course, I've been, I've encountered, you know, being shut down a number of different ways. But, you know, you take that in stride, and that's, mm -hmm. if you're going to try and be a pioneer, well, you know, be a pioneer. When you were doing the research for the book, was there anything that struck you, revelations? Was there, was there one specific revelation in the book that you weren't expecting? I think that... I wasn't expecting that aliens would, um, some of them speak with accents and others not, and that that would be an indication to me, very strong, that they've really been on Earth and intermingling with us for probably a long time. Because you cannot learn languages that well with no accent, um, to, unless you've been doing that. If they are on the Earth right now, would they be cognizant if they are alien or not? Especially if they're hybrids and been intermingling through all those years? Hmm. That, that's, the, that's the question. That's a million dollar question, isn't it? I think I, I think I know some people who have some awareness of their backgrounds. Would there be any traits that they might... Yes. Okay. Could you share those with us? Whether giving their person, their, the people away? Um, I think there's certain, you know, there's been a lot of talk, uh, particularly uh, uh, Nick Redfern has talked about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the certain types of, of blood, certain types of skeletal structures, and then also I think certain abilities 
to uh, make contact on a very, very spiritual level mm. is unusual for humans. I can think of a celebrity right now that flips their hair back. I'm not going to say anything, but um, he's in the news all over the place, and I often wonder what he's up to. I'm making a joke because we're coming to the end of the show. I thought he flipped his hair forwards. Oh, well, whatever he does. Yeah, he's just flipped as far as I'm concerned. Anyways, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It is true. I can't believe the hour's gone already. It just See, when you get a good guest, folks, and one from Jersey who's 22, what can you say? You know, the, the time just flies right by. Next thing you know, you're at the end of the show, and you've got like 10 seconds before the music. Merci beaucoup. Vous êtes très gentil une autre fois. Merci, Nancy Dutetre. The, the book is called How to Talk to an Alien. Can they speak our languages? Can they read our minds? What are they trying to tell us? www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on to next guest book cover. Take it right to a spot. Get the book, folks. You won't be disappointed. There's the music. Et voilà. Bonsoir. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. See you all next time. to Davy Plaza. First-person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com